Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Susie Tatone, a member of the Free Congregation of Sauk County. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on Wart possible. Hi, I'm Keith Steffen, a member of the National Association of Letter Carriers. Today, we honor the memory of Martin Luther King Jr., learn about budget cuts affecting the UW system, hear from a longtime researcher on the state of our unions today, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Cannot organize and the bosses send their lackeys out to cheat us. Money speaks for money, the devil All Martin Luther King weekend events are still expected to take place, except for the Martin Luther King Community Dinner, originally scheduled for this evening. Keith Steffen has more. The annual Martin Luther King Community Dinner had been scheduled to resume this year after it was suspended for three years during the pandemic. Organizers have canceled the event due to the severe weather. Other events had not been canceled as of the time this announcement was recorded, but listeners can monitor the Martin Luther King Coalition website and other online information for updates. Additional programs commemorating the Martin Luther King Day weekend include the MLK College Readiness and Success Summit at 10.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. tomorrow, Saturday, January 13th, at Madison College Goodman South Campus. Contact the College Station for registration. The I Have a Dream Scholarship Dream Ball is hosted by Women in Focus from 6 to 11 p.m. tomorrow, Saturday, January 13th, at the Wisconsin Masonic Center. Contact Women in Focus for tickets. The Urban League Outstanding Young Person Recognition Breakfast is scheduled for Sunday, January 14th at Edgewood High School. Tickets are available through the Urban League. An ecumenical worship service will be held at 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, January 14th at Fountain of Life Church, 633 West Badger Road, Madison. The 43rd Wisconsin State Martin Luther King Jr. Tribute Ceremony will take place at noon on Monday, January 15th at the State Capitol Rotunda. Governor Evers will be one of the speakers. Music will also be featured. The ceremony will be aired live on WORTFM from noon till 1 o'clock on Monday. The 39th Annual City County Observance will take place on Monday, January 15th at the Overture Center for the Arts in the Capitol Theater. The observance will include a Freedom Songs sing-along from 5.15 to 5.45 p.m., followed by a number of speakers from 6 to 7.30 p.m. One of the speakers is Terrence Roberts, one of the Little Rock Nine who helped to desegregate Little Rock Central High School in 1957. The program will be broadcast live on WORTFM beginning at 6 o'clock. I'm Keith Steffen reporting for Labor Radio. 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. strongly supported working people in their unions. Labor Radio shares excerpts of a speech he delivered in support of striking sanitation workers at Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee on April 3, 1968, the day before he was assassinated. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I've Been to the Mountaintop speech was delivered in support of striking sanitation workers. He emphasized the importance of unity and of maintaining a focus on justice for the workers. Now, what does all of this mean in this great period of history? It means that we've got to stay together. We've got to stay together and maintain unity. You know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. But whenever the slaves get together, something happens in Pharaoh's court, and he cannot hold the slaves in slavery. When the slaves get together, that's the beginning of getting out of slavery. Now let us maintain unity. Secondly, let us keep the issues where they are. The issue is injustice. The issue is the refusal of Memphis to be fair and honest in its dealings with its public servants who happen to be sanitation workers. Now we've got to keep attention on that. In this speech, King also emphasized the power of economic unity. He moves on to address the importance of not giving up the fight. Now let me say as I move to my conclusion, that we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. When we have our march, you need to be there. If it means leaving work, if it means leaving school, be there. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strike, but either we go up together or we go down together. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. Frank Emsbach offers an historical perspective on why Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement were centered in Birmingham, Alabama. In 1963, 
Martin Luther King Jr. was the leader of the struggle for civil rights in Birmingham, Alabama, a city in the Deep South, known for its police brutality. Why there? Birmingham had an organized black working class. Histories speak about the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, but in addition, in the early 60s, United States Steel employed 15,000 workers at its Fairfield Works next to Birmingham, many of whom were black. Likewise, close by were the red iron ore deposits, organized initially by the left-wing mine, mill, and smelter workers who had elected black leadership. Though U.S. Steel publicly opposed efforts to desegregate Alabama University and the Steel Workers Union maintained segregated seniority lines, black workers organized and fought for fair treatment within both organizations. In other words, black workers were in motion in 1963 and provided a crucial base of support for the civil rights movement in Birmingham, led in part by MLK. While Martin Luther King may be revered today, such was not the case when he was alive. There was not a single day that a majority of white Americans approved of him. A 1966 Gallup poll measured that only 32% of whites had a positive view of MLK. At the time of his assassination in 1968, three out of four white Americans disapproved of him, and in the wake of his assassination, 31% of the country felt that he brought it upon himself. That was Frank Emsbach. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Madison Labor Radio. I go to work like a doctor. When I rock the mic, you got to like the way I operate. I make miracles happen just from rapping. I'm so lyrically potent and I'm floating and exploding on the scene. Mean, I got the potential to make it go then chill. I got the credentials that is the essential to make a rap and chill. Then you know I will fulfill. Make a couple of mil as I build the guild for all the rappers to skill and kill the weak rappers and no frill. Hang him in effigy if he's a sucker. Hang him to the left of me. Support staff at Meritor Hospital will soon begin bargaining a new contract. Greg Jabowski spoke to a worker about what the union is looking for. The two-year collective bargaining agreement between Madison's Unity Point Health Meritor Hospital and its hospital support staff, represented by SEIU Wisconsin, is up in March of this year. Support staff includes surgical technicians, certified nursing assistants, and the housekeeping, engineering, biomedical, and food and nutrition staff. Labor Radio spoke today to Jamie, a housekeeper at Meritor and a member of the seven-person bargaining committee, who talked about the upcoming negotiations. Bargaining will start next month in February. We haven't got our exact dates of when we're going to start, but it'll be first or second week in February we bargain. By the first week in March, we will be done bargaining and we'll have our contracts set so that by the end of contract, we'll be able to start our new one. I think we all are very optimistic that we're going to be able to sit down with management and we're going to be able to express our concerns. And at the end, we are going to come out with a contract that we're happy with. Jamie talked about what are expected to be the union's key bargaining points. The key points are going to be the staffing shortage, retention, and pay. I have been working at Meritor for 14 years, and I actually really like my job. I take a lot of pride in it, and I know what we do is important, um, and I know we have a great group of coworkers that feel the same way. We know that what we do every day saves lives. 
as a housekeeper, I know that without us going in and cleaning and disinfecting rooms every day, the ORs, the public areas, I mean, we really literally touch every part of the hospital every day. If it wasn't for us, people would get life-threatening infections and would die. So I take my job very seriously and so do my coworkers. We just really want Meritor to recognize how important we are and take us seriously as well. Jamie described what it's like to work at the hospital at current staffing levels. Since COVID and the pandemic, we have been critically short-staffed at the hospital, and yet the hospital is busier than it's ever been. It's rare that we have days that we don't have constant staff discharges where, you know, this room has to be done right away. We got an ER full of people waiting for rooms. We got the OR recovery rooms waiting. We got patients coming from other hospitals. And so it is just run, 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 getting those rooms turned over and then Our birthing floors, of course, are always very busy. We deliver more babies at Meritor than any other hospital in Wisconsin. A couple weeks ago, we had a record-breaking day. We delivered 24 babies in 24 hours. Here's Jamie's take on the so-called worker shortage. I don't think it's a lack of people. We all know that Madison is building high-rise apartments at an alarming rate, so I don't think it's a lack of people in Madison, a lack of workers. I think it directly correlates to wages. I think if they paid their employees a thriving wage, they would have people not only come to Meritor, but they would have people stay at Meritor. Jamie and SEIU Wisconsin welcome the Madison community's support in the upcoming negotiations. I hope that the community can get behind us on this and that everybody understands how important it is to have a thriving healthcare system and the workers being treated fairly and respectfully. That was Jamie, a Unity Point Meritor support staff worker and a member of the SEIU Wisconsin Bargaining Committee during upcoming contract negotiations, which start in early February. Jamie announced that on the afternoon of Saturday, January 27th, two weeks from tomorrow, from 1 to 5 p.m., there will be an art build and potluck at the Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street in Madison. Community members are invited to help with flyers and to learn about the issues involved. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Battery manufacturer Energizer is moving forward with plans to close a Portage, Wisconsin factory by the end of this year, putting over 100 jobs at risk. Labor Radio has more on the fight against the closure. 135 workers at the Energizer factory located in Portage, Wisconsin are being laid off as the company continues to ramp down production in the state and outsource work to other locations. The plan to close the factory was initially announced last January only five years after the company's merger with Spectrum Brands in 2018. Along with a Portage location, the company also announced its intention to close the state's other factory in Fenimore, which employs 172 workers. Fenimore's closure was formalized in October, with an initial wave of layoffs taking place last month. A similar formalization of Portage's closure took place this week, with initial layoffs starting as early as March. The plant's operations are expected to cease by September and December of this year, respectively, according to letters submitted by the company to the Department of Workforce Development. The company's 2018 merger drew scrutiny from Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin in the wake of the closure's announcements. Baldwin, who called for an FTC investigation into the deal, said that, quote, following this merger, hundreds of Wisconsinites are now on the cusp of losing a good-paying union job. Revisiting this merger on behalf of these workers and the consumers who now face higher prices is clearly in the public interest and squarely within the Federal Trade Commission's authority to investigate mergers both before and after they are completed. 
Teamsters president Sean O'Brien has also criticized the company's actions, calling the company greedy and cowardly while simultaneously pushing for a boycott on the company's products. Teamsters Local 695, the local representing the state's energizer workers, negotiated an economic support plan with the company in case the closures are finalized, a plan that the union said it hoped it did not need to use. Quote, we made it very clear to Energizer that it was our goal to keep these plans open, Ryan Rademacher, president of Local 695, told The Guardian last April. Quote, we're going to do everything we can in hopes that we can do that. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. This is a journey into sound. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value. When all is ready, I throw this switch. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume. Pump that bass. UW colleges are being forced to cut their budgets, resulting in layoffs and reducing the breadth of education opportunities. Frank Emsbach has the story. All UW colleges are being forced to take cuts in their budget. They are announcing layoffs of staff and cutting subjects and whole majors. The colleges, often called comprehensives, include institutions like UW-Platteville, Oshkosh, Stevens Point, and elsewhere. The state has identified the forced austerity as due to a number of problems. Labor Radio spoke with John Shelton, president of UW-Green Bay United and vice president of Higher Education for American Federation of Teachers, Wisconsin. John, please set the scene for our listeners. Describe the budget cuts faced by higher education and their cause. This this is a crisis that's uh, over a decade in the making. It started with the, the disastrous budget cuts that came to the UW system and the Walker uh, administration. And this has just gotten more dire over the years. And when you combine that with a tuition freeze, when you starve, when you consciously starve the UW system of resources, so this is all politically concocted. Shelton notes that the cuts are accompanied by Republican demands to cut specific programs dealing with diversity, and that Evers was forced to sign a budget that included these cuts. Shelton explains the impacts of the cuts. And what it's led to is individual campuses competing with each other in a kind of race to the bottom for students and just a, a long-term lack of financial resources. So campus administrations have been put in a position of, of having to make pretty draconian cuts, right? And so we've seen this across the UW system, you know, 300 positions being lost at Oshkosh, or, you know, I think it was like 100 positions at, at Platteville, or uh, my own home institution, UW-Green Bay, where our administration is, is pushing to reduce the number of uh, majors and minors that are available uh, on the campuses that are really gateways for uh, students from working families, first-gen students to go to college. In fact, uh, an email from President Jay Rothman that was sort of laid that out and said campuses need to make tough choices and they should explicitly look at those camp those campuses with lots of low-income students. Labor Radio asked John to explain the structure of the budget. How much does the state contribute? through general program revenues, or GPR, as compared to tuition. 
was in the for the comprehensive something something like 16 or 17 percent comes from gpr this is to the extent that there has been more revenues in the system this has all been on the backs of students we have a four billion dollar surplus it's just sitting in a bank account the idea that you know we're going to let the university system starve at a time when we have that kind of surplus the only reason you do that is because you like have an ideological like reasons for not wanting us to be able to offer the kind of education that people in our state deserve as to who had been laid off shelton noted that tenured faculty have not been laid off although some are retired while academic staff and support staff have borne the brunt of the job cuts are senior administrators being affected proportionately but from everything i've heard about oshkosh the answer to that is no what is the american federation of teachers doing to address the layoffs and program cuts We've been putting resources into assisting locals, you know, assisting locals when they've been pushing back against this. So in Oshkosh, they had uh, several demonstrations in the fall. There were probably 400 people at this demonstration. I mean, things, you know, in the longer term, what we want to do is to get collective bargaining rights back. We think that that would be, that's our ultimate goal is to, is to have collective bargaining, but we, we don't, we don't rely on that to, to, you know, try and protect uh, the interests of ourselves as workers. And of course, right now, I mean, we, we're coordinating a lot across campus. Campuses. I can't talk about exactly what things are going to look like right now, but for those folks who were paying attention to the United Auto Workers and their strike and how that started with rolling demonstrations, that's a tactic we're looking very closely at. That was John Shelton, Vice President of AFT Wisconsin for Higher Ed. Labor Radio will bring you a story from the individual colleges throughout the winter and spring as the unions organize resistance. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. The Amazon Workers Union is taking on Google. Carol Weidel has the story. Last week, the National Labor Relations Board, or NLRB, issued a decision in favor of the Alphabet Workers Union, also known as the Communication Workers Local 9009. This union is a certified union as recognized by the NLRB. In its decision, the Labor Board determined that Google and Cognizant are joint employers at an Austin, Texas facility. These two employers violated the National Labor Relations Act by failing and refusing to recognize and bargain with the union following the union's certification. Google and Cognizant control the essential terms and conditions of employment of workers at the Austin, Texas facility and have been joint employers. Alphabet Incorporated is an American multinational technology conglomerate holding company headquartered in Mountain View, California. Google remains the umbrella company for Alphabet's internet-related businesses. These include widely used products and services long associated with Google, such as the Android mobile operating system, YouTube, and Google Search, which remain direct components of Google. The NLRB ordered the joint employers Google and Cognizant to bargain on request with the union and if an understanding is reached to embody the understanding in a signed agreement. In addition, the General Counsel requests that the NLRB adopt a compensatory remedy requiring the employers to make their employees whole for the lost opportunity to bargain at the time and in the manner contemplated by the law. Alphabet Workers Union, CWA, continues to organize alphabet workers throughout the United States of America and Canada. The union has a broad view of its mission. On the website, alphabetworkersunion.org, the union declares, quote, Our union of 1,400 plus members strives to protect alphabet workers, our global society, and our world, unquote. 
Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Just one month after launching a campaign to unionize the country's 13 non-union auto manufacturers, the United Auto Workers have added another factory to the mix. Labor Radio has the story. The United Auto Workers have once again expanded their sweeping campaign to organize nearly 150,000 employees across the country's 13 non-union auto manufacturers, this time striking at the heart of the South. The union announced on Wednesday that 15 of the 6,300 auto workers at the Mercedes-Benz factory outside of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, had signed union authorization cards. Since then, the union's communication director, Jonah Furman, stated on social media that the number of signatories has passed well beyond the 30% required to petition for union recognition. Along with the announcement, the UAW posted footage of workers from the Tuscaloosa plant expressing their discontent with falling behind management a major theme of the union's stand-up campaign. And Alabama is a special place, but in those early mornings, we still punch the clock. In those hot summer nights, the line is still running. And just like everywhere else, American non-union auto workers are getting a raw deal. In the wake of the Wednesday announcement, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey has stepped in, taking the side of the bosses in an anti-union manifesto published through the state's Department of Commerce. In it, the governor claimed that the workers' efforts to unionize were akin to putting the, quote, Alabama model for economic success under attack, and that the UAW was a, quote, out-of-state special interest group. As noted by the Alabama-based Valley Labor Report, this is not the first time the governor has turned the state's executive branch into a platform for breaking unions. Notably, she has also drawn criticism from labor for deploying Alabama state troopers to the 2021-2023 Warrior Met strike to escort scab workers through the United Mine Workers picket lines. Despite the hostility of the state's executive to the prospect of a union at the Mercedes-Benz plant, UAW officials are hopeful of continued progress in the campaign. The union noted that as soon as 50% of the factory's workers had signed union cards, President Sean Fain will conduct a rally in Tuscaloosa. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Susie Tatone. Thanks to our editor, Frank Emsbach, assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Jaboski, Sean Hagerup, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, engagement editor Alice Herman, and to all our readers, and to the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Keith Steffen. We also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark. <laughs>